right, y'all got quieter, fast, quiet faster than normal. So, well, in the spirit of that, let's always remember that silence, sitting before the Lord, as awkward as it may feel for us at times, is a good thing. And so if, if you're new with us this morning, we order our gathering together. Uh, sorry, I did the echo thing. We order our gathering together, not merely as a way that we can be present here, but so that we can go out into our everyday life and we can live out the story of the gospel that is the true story of the world, even though there are competing alternatives on every way that we go. And as we go through the book of 1 Peter, what we're looking at is what it means to be God's holy people in this world. To live as exiles, as those whom this world is not our home, and yet it is our home. It's where we live now, even though it's not where our primary citizenship is found. And we're going through this book looking at what it means to live in this world, even when we face suffering and hurt and many pressures that come against us. And so this morning we're going to be looking in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 21. And we're going to be talking about a subject that brings up many different maybe emotions and feelings for us, and it's this issue of holiness. So if you'd read along with me from 1 Peter chapter 1. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your invitation here today. We recognize you as the great host of this gathering, the great center, the great unity. And we pray, God, that you would help us today to be present with you. We pray, God, that right now you would settle our hearts in the security that you give us as our Father. We pray, God, that you would help us to hear what is true according to your word. We pray that we would not hide in fear, cower in shame, or defend ourselves from our guilt, but that we would openly, God, receive what you have to say to us today, whether it be in conviction or in comfort. And we ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's been several new movies come out surrounding war, military things, Midway, 1917. I've not seen these movies, but I've heard they're good. I can't vouch for them and never would endorse a movie anyway, because that would get me in trouble. But I, I grew up watching a lot of army movies or TV shows with my dad. And one thing as I think about war and I think about battle, and you'll see the connection as we get into the text, is that in a sense the word holiness really is a great summary of what is taking place. Is that there are these people, these men and women who are being set apart with an identity that now guides them on a mission. They, they have their own look, they have their own goals, they have their own culture, they have their own way of life, but really it's all geared towards the accomplishing of a purpose that they have been trained for and set apart for. But the enemy has tactics, and the tactics of the enemy overall are to distract from this mission, to defeat this mission, and to dilute this mission. 
And if you are to be captured by the enemy, at least in these movies, and I'd say in some measure in real life, you could be put in a situation where you would be tortured. But the way that this torture works is it's an attempt to both break down the body, but ultimately to break down the mind. Because if you can be put in a situation where you are suffering both physically and mentally, it is that much harder to stay true to your identity and to your purpose. If, if your body can be physically in pain, it is that much easier to not be holy. If your mind, if your emotions are in pain, it is very hard to be holy. If when you are in great physical pain or in great mental stress, you have an enemy who offers you instant gratification, some type of immediate relief, if you will just give in to me, if you will just agree with me, if you will just tell me what I want to hear or do what I want you to do, right now you can have some relief. It is hard to not compromise. And I think this is just a picture not only of what happens in the tactics of warfare and torture, this is what our lives are like. We can forget, but the Bible sets the story of our lives in this world in the narrative of a cosmic warfare that is going on. Of a people who have been called by God's grace and for His glory as His holy children, as His holy people, who have been set apart not only by His grace, but for His mission in this world. But we have an enemy who hates this mission and who hates us, who hates the holy status that we have been given in Christ and wants to get us off the holy mission that he has called us to. And one very easy way that he can do this is to take advantage of how vulnerable we are when we're hurting. Sometimes that's physical pain. It's hard for me when I'm sick. What's the joke? Uh, uh, God allowed women to be the ones to, to have babies so they would know what it feels like for a man to experience a common cold. Right? So like, it's like I've got the stomach bug and you can ask my wife. It's like, I'm going to die. In my mind, I'm going to die. I start thinking about what life's going to be like for, for her without our children without me and our children, right? And so do you, do you think that the fruit of the Spirit are like right on the edge? No, oftentimes this is when it's like you get snappy, right? You're sick, your body's hurting. It's, it's hard to be holy. When you're sad, when you're just really sad, when somebody has broke your heart or life has broke your heart, really hard to be holy when you're stressed out if you think that, that our enemy sits back and says hey they're having a hard time I think I'm going to take it easy on them then you've underestimated the evil that is in his heart and the desires he has to wreck your life and laugh over When you're wounded, and we use this, this little simple illustration a lot in our discipleship here in our church, if, if you broke your arm and I walk up and give you a pat on the shoulder and say, good morning, you might scream. If somebody else has not broke their arm, I might walk up and pat them on the shoulder and say good morning and they may say, I feel so loved. It's... it's we, we all are carrying some form of wound physically, mentally, emotionally, and, and we're, we're, we're trying to be holy, but we're hurting. And I know in my life, sometimes it feels like, and maybe in yours, 
like the enemy literally, one of those war scenes has you in this dark room, tied to a chair, handcuffed or tied up or hanging upside down with the water under you, and he's just whispering lies in your ear. God's abandoned you. Nobody really loves you. Your spouse is only still married to you because they feel like they have to be. Your children just tolerate you. Your parents are against you. That church doesn't care about you. Your friends would just, they would replace you in a second. Your body's going to give out. You're not going to make it. It's hard to be holy when you're hurting. The readers of 1 Peter are experiencing all of these things. They're, they're receiving this letter in a culture that does not approve of, value, support, or endorse Christianity in any way. So we may, we may think that like a lot of things as, as our country changes and things become different, we may think this is new. It's just new to us. The, the church was born in a culture that hated Jesus. The church was born in a culture that saw saying Jesus is Lord or Jesus is King as, as a full-out sort of terrorist way of thinking against the Roman government. It was born into a culture of, of great hedonism and debauchery and all types of philosophies that were in direct attack upon the people of God. So Peter knows it's hard to be holy when you're hurting. And we should have great sympathy on those who are hurting. Mental and physical disorders, chronic illness, temporary pains, ongoing relational brokenness, many who've been hurt, many who've been hurt by the church, they've lost jobs, some who've been ridiculed by non-Christians. We should have great sympathy, and yet at the same time, we need to have great hope. Because what God is telling us through His Word... What God is telling us rooted in the victory of Jesus Christ is that we can be holy people even in a world full of hurt. That this holiness won't happen simply by us pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps, simply by us doing better or trying harder, but it will only happen as our lives are more rooted in the identity that we have as the children of a holy God who has set us apart for a holy purpose and who because of his holy commitment to us will never quit holding us, will never quit helping us, and will never quit healing us until the day he brings us home pure, holy, and blameless and irreproachable at the coming of Christ. The world, the flesh, and the devil would just have us give up and say there's no way to be holy in a world of hurt. Just I'm just going to go hide out somewhere until it's done. But we are called to be God's holy people even when we're hurting. Well, how in the world do we live into that? Well, I think our text gives us a few things here. And the first thing is, is to be holy even when we're hurting, we have to prepare our minds for action. This is what verses 13 and 14 are saying. Notice, therefore, preparing your minds for action. Therefore, the old cliche, right, if you've been to any Bible classes... If it says, therefore, you need to see what it's there for. Right? So what is it there for? It's what we've talked about the last few weeks. Peter has laid out in verses 1 through 12 this great vision of the gospel of God that is unstoppable, saying to us that we've been born again to a living hope, that we have an inheritance that nothing in this world can take away. That God is keeping that for us, but God is also guarding us by His power for the reception of that hope. That we have a salvation that is secured past, present, and future. That we have been saved from the penalty of sin for the purpose of God's be being God's beloved children. That we are being saved from the power of sin for the purpose of doing good works empowered by the Spirit, that we will be saved from one day from the very presence of sin for the purpose of enjoying God forever. But, 
as great and big and encouraging and rooting as that salvation is, we have to prepare ourselves to live in the now. The now of the fight. So they're to prepare their minds for action. If you have one of the older translations of the Bible, it may say, gird your loins. We don't use that a lot. But it's this, it's this battle term. It's I'm getting ready to fight, and I'm wearing this old school church play, whatever dress thing. And so if I'm about to do some kicking and running and fighting, I got I to gotta hike this stuff up. And I got to tie it up so that my legs can move. I got to get ready. This isn't just going to be standing around. This isn't just going to be, I got my theology right, verses 3 to 12, and so now I just sit here and talk about my theology with everybody. That the battle for holiness is not the battle to protect your doctrinal statement first and foremost. The battle for holiness is to prepare your mind to now and go live out of those truths and prepare to face an enemy who hates all that is true. Preparing our minds for action shows us that we are going to face a, a propaganda warfare. So debate ever how much you want the influence and interference of the Russians in social media. One thing is sure, our enemy is doing that. All the time. It's in the air that we breathe. It's in the TV we watch, the, the songs we listen to, the billboards we drive by. We can't escape it. There is a battle for our minds in this world. Telling us a different story, a different way to live, a different way to be. And so we're called to be sober-minded. That is not under the influence of any other source, but also any other story. If we're going to fight this battle, we, we, we've got to be ready not to be taken captive by these lies, or these lures, or these distractions. And we do this in view of the grace that is to come in Christ. It's coming. The war is won. But the battle's still being fought here. So verse 14, we also do this living out of this identity. Now this is amazing, and there may be some degree of debate we could have over this, but notice Peter tells them, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of their former, former ignorance. Notice he calls them obedient children before they've went and done anything. This is, this is, this is how identity works. The, the enemy is saying, all you are is a disobedient disappointment. And if that's what you believe about who you are, that fundamentally to God, to myself, to other people, I'm just a disobedient disappointment then the way, the way life works is we tend to live out of the identities that we give ourselves. So if you walk around thinking, I know I'm supposed to do all this stuff and be all this stuff, but I'm just a disobedient disappointment, then your life is not going to be ready to be lived in the fullness of the holy calling and a holy mission. But if your perspective is, through Jesus Christ and by the word of the Father, I am an obedient child. That's who I am then now this gospel, grace-motivated confidence rises in your life to live out of that identity that He gives you. This is who I am. I am an obedient child of God. So I, I don't have to live conformed to the passions of my former ignorant way of life. That's not who I am. That's not my story anymore. That's not my identity anymore. Therefore, that's not my way of life anymore. Holiness takes a mind that's being renewed by the freedom of our old, futile worldviews of self, others, and the world. And if we're not ready for that, when the physical pains, the chronic illnesses, the, the mental and emotional disorders and temptations come, then it's, it's just going to be so much easier for us to just fold and say, I'll take whatever relief the enemy's got to give me because at least that temporary relief is something. 
We have a good Father who's wanting to prepare us for that. I've, I've had some friends that, that I've heard from who are African American. Fathers. And it, it breaks my heart to, to hear them tell stories of conversations they have to have with their children that I'll never have to have with my children. Say, son, you're going to face a point at some point in your life where you, you thought people didn't have prejudices and, and we were all just the same and love was colorblind, but there's going to come a point in your life when you grow up when you're going to be accused of something because you fit a description. I remember talking to some of our neighbors at a house we previously lived at because I was like, yeah, is, this, is this true? I just had to confess. Like, I just, Is this some type of like media hype? And I remember walking over there, these three black college students, and I said, hey, can I take you out to eat? We went, went to Zaxby's. And I said, Did, would y'all just tell me, has this really happened to y'all? And I just had to sit there and fight back tears over an hour plus lunch of them just telling story after story. Even right there on 15th Street downtown, they're just standing outside talking after class one day. And police pull up and throw them all down on the ground. I said, you fit the description of a report that was given. And to, and to see as they told these stories, this temptation for hate to well up, this temptation to begin to assume everybody was like that that wasn't like them, this temptation to want to say, hey, if, if this is what the world is going to be like, then I'll just rise up and I'll live into that and I'll fight back. But at least one of these young men was saying, I had a dad that prepared me for this. To be holy, he didn't use these words, but to use our words today, to be holy even when I get hurt. And our Father wants to prepare us to be holy even when we're hurting. We are going to be hurt in this world. You already know that. I don't have to tell you that. But we're not alone. But we got to be ready. Later in Peter, he's going to say, don't be surprised at this fiery trial. We, sh we as, as so oftentimes as American Christians, we think comfort is the default for life. And then suffering or hard times come along. We're like, ah! But in most of the history of the world, hard times was the default for life. And so we've got, to, we've got to be taught this again to prepare so that suffering doesn't surprise us. It doesn't shock us. All of a sudden, the enemy's got us tied to the chair. Our bodies are breaking down. Our minds are being broken down. And we don't know what to do. And God is saying, get ready. Prepare your minds for action. Be sober-minded. Don't let this world just lull you to sleep. Be awake to the fact that the world is hard, but be equally a fact wake to the fact that Jesus has won and because he has won you can be holy when you're hurting this is why when we come to God's word whatever you think of the spiritual disciplines we're not reading God's word regularly in our lives just to have some sort of like spiritual checklist or to get God off our shoulder no what is the point the point is that we prepare our minds for action we war to renew our minds so that we are not conformed to this world, but transformed. It means we've got to bring that pain into that relationship with God. God wants you to talk to Him about your hurts and the hurt in this world. He's waiting for you to do that. Not to demean the reading of the Word at all, I'm not doing that. We need to read the Word, but God also wants to take some time to let the Word read us. We need to be sober-minded. We need to be aware. What are the other substances or sources or stories in my life that are deluding or distracting me 
from the truth of the gospel and the calling to holiness that God has put on my life. And I need to deal ruthlessly with those. Ruthlessly. I don't need to play with it. Old illustration. If you've got a mouse in your house who's wreaking havoc, you don't say, I think I'm going to just start feeding him crumbs. Maybe if he just gets a little crumbs, he'll start doing everything else. And we, we, we foolishly treat our sin like that. Well, if I give it a little bit, it'll die. No, don't feed what is coming to kill you. Kill it. We'll only be prepared to be holy when we're hurting by letting God define our identity in Christ. We'll only be prepared to be holy when we're hurting by living in awareness of this war. But also to be holy when we're hurting not only means that we have to prepare our minds for action, but we need to embrace holiness as true wholeness. We see this in verses 15 through 17. Peter calls them to live holy lives as children of the Holy Father. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So this is many places in the Old Testament, but most directly we could go to Leviticus 11:45. He says, be holy for I am holy because I have redeemed you from Israel. So he's putting this holiness within this larger story of his redeeming work. He's saying, I am holy. I am a God that there is no other who compares. I am a God who is set apart from all creation in my goodness, in my righteousness, in my perfection, in my purity. Holiness is rooted first in who God is. And everything about who God is is rooted and flows through this holiness, which isn't so much an attribute of God, like love or patience or kindness, but is another descriptor of the whole of His beauty. So if God's, God's love is a holy love, God's grace is a holy grace, God's patience is a holy patience. And as we think of God's holiness, just to maybe nerd out on you here for a second, people would talk about God's incommunicable attributes and His communicable. And let me just help you understand what that means, but I think this is important for understanding holiness or I wouldn't go there. There is, a, there is a holiness of God that cannot be communicated to us. It cannot be given to us. Incommunicable. Like, there's a way that God is holy. We can't be holy. But there is a holiness that we can be like God. That is communicated to us. That is given to us. This ought to just put us all on our faces right now. We, we may have like got so used to this word holy in our churchy worlds that that doesn't floor us. That the holiness of God is given to us and is to be carried by us in this world. Amazing privilege. It's an amazing possession. Because when we think of God's holiness, it's God's holiness that makes this world good. Another word for holiness may simply just be wholeness. There's no impurity, there's no break, there's no problems, there's no, there's no defects. It's whole. It's shalom, it's peace. It's all the attributes of God in their perfect unity. And because that's our Father and He's given us to, that to us, He wants us to live that out in this world so that the world can know more of His goodness and more of His glory. And so verse 17 tells us that in view of this great and awesome the most serious meaning of that word, privilege, possession, and calling, we are to live in fear. And a lot of times when we talk about living in the fear of the Lord, 
We only maybe have one gear for fear and we think of dread. But there is a fear of the Lord that is this deep sense of, of holy reverence that grounds us in God as the ultimate reality. As in the Chronicles of Narnia when Lucy asked about Aslan if he's safe, the response is, no, he's not safe, but he's good. He's not safe. He's the creator of all the universe. But he's good. This is why his holiness is a call for our protection and to keep the pursuit of our lives in line with what would give us the greatest joy in this world. In the Garden of Eden, it was when Adam and Eve chose to not live in the fear of the Lord that they found their life's rest. It's in the story of Israel where the children of God chose not to live in the fear of the Lord that they found themselves in such disarray. And so it is in our lives. And because we have a good father who disciplines his children, and I believe here when it talks about judging impartially, if we read larger in the book of of Peter, this isn't talking about a condemning, retributive judgment, but this discipline, refining judgment. He'll say later in, in chapter 4, verse 17, it's time for judgment to begin at the house of the Lord. He's saying if this world is going to experience true blessing, if it's going to be refined, if it's going to experience the holiness that it was meant for, then God's people have got to be the ones to where this starts. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is what guides us to not live a life that represses us or suppresses us, but leads us into wholeness, into true and deep biblical joy. Proverbs 29, 25 says, The fear of man lays a snare, but the, whoever trusts in or fears the Lord is safe. Imagine that we had a water source in our city that was corrupted. And you began to see people get sick. People were to begin to die. And so you wanted to say, I'm not just going to step back and let this happen. I'm going to sort of give my life to the purity of this water. So that water could be whole because... People can't experience the fullness of life without the purity of water. Would those who protect this water be called unloving prudes? Would people who protect this water be called oppressive or suppressive Puritans? Would people who protect this water be called self-righteous haters of humanity. There should be a healthy fear concerning the purity of water. But the holiness of God is saying God is the source of all life. Now we won't want to reject that, but this is the truth as God has revealed it to us. That God's holiness is the source of God's life. And any dilution of God's holiness, any defects or distractions from God's holiness is not going to lead us to a greater fullness of life. It is going to lead us to death. It is not going to lead us into greater fulfillment. It will lead us into greater foolishness and that ultimately will lead us into greater anguish. We oftentimes see people who bail on God. We'll talk on this this week. What I mean bail on God, they give up God. Because they, their experience of life all of a sudden doesn't seem to match up with what they read in God's word about who God is and what he says. And so they come to a crossroads and they say, okay, now who am I going to trust? Am I going to trust my experience, my intuition, 
my conversations and experiences I've had with other people, or am I going to trust in God? Now this boils down to this, to this topic of holiness. Because a holy God is a God who is holy other. A God who himself is the standard of what is true and good and beautiful and flourishing and full. But there are other gods out here who are offering us that pathway. But if we don't believe in and trust in the holiness of God, then we're going to bail on God. Because we don't have a God who is other than, who is bigger than, and who is better than all the alternatives. This is why a small view of God's holiness makes us so vulnerable to the lies of the enemy, particularly when we're hurting or when we see other people hurting. Because when you're hurting physically, mentally, emotionally, relationally, or you're in relationship with somebody who's hurting physically, emotionally, or relationally, and the enemy says, here is some quick relief. If you don't have this big view of the holiness of God, you're going to take the bait every time. You're going to take the bait. And it's not because you don't believe in holiness. It's just now you've ascribed holiness to something else. Every God is calling us to a distorted holiness a way to deal with our pain. Pornography is often a way to deal with pain. It's oftentimes not simply about just a lustful reaction. Can be that, and often is, but many times for people, it's a, it's a way that I can find some sort of just relief some sort of few minutes where somebody sort of imaginarily wants me for no reason. I don't have to perform. And so I can have this moment to where I, I, I feel whole, but as God's children after that, it's, it's just a sign of how diabolical our enemy is. The same is true with substance abuses. It's often a way to deal with pain. I'm tied up here. I'm hurting. I know this can take the edge off. The only problem is if we create these vicious cycles in our life, yeah, it takes the edge off and then it just grows the edge. We will only be holy when we're hurting by believing that holiness is the path to our own healing. Path to our own healing. This is the, this is the great truth that the enemies of the, of the followers of Jesus don't want you to know, don't want me to believe, don't want the world to know especially, that holiness is the path to healing. We often believe that holiness leads us into greater pain because it does lead us into temporary pain. It requires self-denial. It requires sacrifice. But the end is sanctification. The end is the experience of a deeper joy that doesn't take from you. The end is a joy like it, it's going to hurt. It's like a detox, because it, it is. When you quit going to those other gods to take the edge off, it is going to hurt. They're not going to sit back. They're going to fight like hell. No, the real use of that. Not, not saying they will fight like hell, get a fight because they are hell. Because what God's doing, He's purifying you for a greater pleasure. It can only be found in Him. People are not flourishing in sin in spite of the enemy's propaganda. 
They're racked with guilt and shame and fear and no amount of therapy, no amount of medication can quiet the soul that was created to find its deepest delight in the true God of the world. And so we will only truly love people by being holy. Holiness is not just about morality. Holiness is about mission. It's about mission. It's about loving a world by continuing to be faithful to a God when this world will tell us that our commitment to Him to be sanctified as Jesus prayed for us in John 17, sanctify them by Your Word. Your Word is truth. That as we seek to live out the holiness of the truth and faithfulness of God, they will say you are haters. They will say you are repressive. You are suppressive. You are oppressive. And worse. If we don't cling to what God's word tells us here, we will take the bait and we will not be loving them. Affirming and approving of unholy living is not love. It's not love. It's the opposite. It's saying, I give up too. There's no hope in the end. This holy God. So why don't we just all try to make each other feel better while the ship's sinking? So this leads us to our last point. To be holy when we're hurting, we have to trust God's costly love. Well, this is really good news. Notice verses 18 through 21. How can we live in this, this, this way of holiness that is in this healthy fear of God, out of love for God, but also out of love for the world, we do it knowing that we were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. The motivation to live holy lives is the fact that we have been redeemed and purchased by God when we were in the middle of completely unholy lives. That God's bent towards us is not to zap us or strike us down with his holiness, but he wants to heal us by his holiness. And how much does he want to do that? How committed is he to that? I mean, is he just up here in heaven with some sort of unrealistic list of demands and way of life, and he's saying, go for it, people. This is what I expect of you. And we're just down here bumbling and stumbling and feeling worse about ourselves and trying to pull this off. No. This is how committed he is to our holiness. He's the only hope of it. This is not even a possibility if it isn't for his provision and his purchase. He has ransomed us and redeemed us from this empty way of living in this world. Even from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. So the Bible speaks of this idea of even generational sin and generational burdens. Things you've been carrying in your family's story for a long time that have you in bondage, that have you in particular temptations. And he's saying, that's not who you are anymore. That's not your story. I've given you a new story. This is how I gave it to you. I sent my son to this world to live the holy life you could never live. And boy, was he hated for it. He was too liberal for the Pharisees, too conservative for the Sadducees. 
too risky for everybody. He didn't live in the fear of man. He lived according to the word and the will of the Father. And where that led him was a cross. So the ransom wasn't cheap. Not even compared to costly things like silver or gold. It far exceeded the most valuable things on earth. They were purchased with the, I like the addition of this word, the precious blood of Christ. And his blood was so precious because it was the, the blood of purity. Like that of a spotless lamb. It was holy life. What the blood stands for is life. It was a holy blood. A holy life. And that life was given to count for us. We were given Jesus' holiness. Isn't that amazing? 1 Peter 3.18 will say, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. 1 Peter 2.24 will say, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. That we're given this position of holiness before the Father through the precious purchase of our souls by the blood of Jesus now so that we can practice that holiness through the power of the blood of Jesus. And all this happened if we doubt God's intent, if we doubt God's heart, verses 20 through 21 tell us that Jesus, the one who was foreknown, foreloved before the foundation of the world, why was he made manifest to do all this, to accomplish all this? Read it and rejoice at the end of verse 20. For the sake of you. Put your name in the blank. That's what the spirits want to do here. It wasn't just this sort of general salvation. Now we're just all these sort of numbers of humanity. No, for the sake of you. He didn't die for you so that you would now have to live in the bondage of your sin. He didn't die for you so that you would have to live in the grip of your suffering. He died so that you can know He loves you in the middle of it and He wants to lead you into the healing that can come from it. Imagine having to go through some intensive rehab, physical rehab, and learning to walk again. I've never had to do this, but I've seen it. And just imagine that your physical therapist must hate you. Somebody in here has probably went through something like that. Do you hate me? You want to learn to walk again or use your arm again? And it feels like torture. Like even the most minor things, like today we're going to take five steps. And it feels like torture. That may be where some of you at in, your, in, in this call to holiness. Like you, you're sitting there thinking, you don't know how bad it is for me. You don't know where I'm at. Guess what? God doesn't care where you're at. He's been in the grave and came out the victor. So however deep you think the hole in you're in, Jesus has already been there and came back and has the keys. So here you are. You're starting way back here. And you're like, I, don't even, I just got to learn how to take I don't even know what legs are. Right? So the Spirit's just going to meet you in your bag, bed and say, Do you feel this? Poke your foot. We're going to just keep poking this foot until you feel something. And it hurts. As you start to feel again, it starts to hurt worse. It's this holy rehab. And you're thinking back to your physical, real life physical therapist. Why don't you just let me lay down and enjoy what little bit of miserable life I have? Why you got to be getting me out of this bed and trying to get me to walk? Can I just lay here and eat hot Cheetos and watch Netflix? Just leave me alone. Even being around people makes me feel worse. Just let me lay here and die. And then you're thinking, after all, I'm probably going to be broke paying for all this. Because insurance is a great fiasco. 
And the good rehab guy isn't even on my plan. This is how the call to holiness can feel in our lives. But then imagine finding out that the guy who's putting you through this rehab has already paid for all of it. And he's committed to being there for you to the end. He's more invested in it than you are. This times a million more is what God is telling us through his gospel today. God has paid for your purchase and your rehabilitation and he's here for it. He's here for it. He's not going anywhere. We will only be holy to the, to the point that our hope is in that God. That we trust Him. That we trust His heart. That we trust His hand. That we trust His holding. Because the enemy is going to try and break you. Take advantage of your hurts. To hurt you so that he can then take advantage of your hurts. But he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. So we can be holy even when we're hurting. Father, we thank you for the good news that is ours in Christ. We thank you now as we come to your table that we can taste and see your commitment to our holiness, your provision of holiness. We thank you that we're reminded through the bread and the cup that is the promise of the new covenant, that we have the full forgiveness of our sins and we have the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit to obey your commands. Thank you, God, that you receive us through Jesus' perfect work and not our own. And may we rejoice in that now as we come to the table. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
All right. Hello? Hello? Is it coming through? Is it coming through at all? Hello? Hello? I can try that other one. It's like it's working but not working. Hello? Oh, this is not. Hold on. This isn't right. Hello. All right, everybody, if you are not staying for the class, could you please take your conversation into the hallway? Not wanting to be rude, but just wanting to respect everybody's time who is staying. Thank you very much. Nice to meet you. I think I've seen you before, but hey, good, to oh, good to meet you too. Glad you were here this morning. Hey, yeah, hey, I hope everything went right. Most times it got better, but oh I well. Yeah. Uh oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Well, here I'll get. There you go. Next time that happens, it's mine. Yeah. Some kind of car. Oh, well. Hey, man. Well, nice to meet you. What are you Anything I We're doing a class right now, so we're about to get started. But we'll see you. We'll see you later. All right, man. Thank you. All right. You too. Bye. Which way are you going out? This way? Jimmy? Yep. Yep. Not. We're not. Just don't steal our food. All right. See you. This way. Yeah. Yeah. This Wednesday night, uh, some. I know. Well, I'm glad you got a biscuit. <laughs> Where's it at? What? From Maine? Well, that's cool. We're at Maine. Let's see. Did you see it? Your book? What color was it? A blue book. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know where it is. Has anybody seen a blue book? I don't think they would have thrown a book away. Oh, is this it right here? All right, great. We don't want you to lose it. Is that it? All righty, you too, buddy. Glad you were here this morning. What book is it? Devil's Bridge. Is that a good one? Have you read much of it? Yeah. 
Wow. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, have a nice day, Jimmy. It was really nice to meet you. You'll see. I hope I see you next week. Come back. after the meal. Is it ready, Jason? Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm going to just go with y'all anyway. I was going to plan to do it tonight after LC, but that's fine. But it, I mean, that would be way better. <laughs>